0: Welcome to the Best Interest Podcast, hosted by Jesse Kramer, where we discuss today's best ideas in personal finance and investing. The Best Interest is a personal podcast meant for entertainment purposes only. It should not be taken as financial advice and is not prescriptive of your financial situation. Here's your host, Jesse Kramer. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode number two of the Best Interest Podcast. I'm Jesse Kramer. I'm excited for today's episode. We've got a cool main topic and some excellent listener questions. The Q&A, it involves uh, a question about my first ever investment, a terrific question about bonds, and also, interestingly, a question about the flat earth. Pretty diverse, am I right? Uh, but the main course today will be about long-term investing and the faith, that's my words, the faith that's needed to stay the course in your long-term investing plan. Like many personal finance topics, it combines math and psychology. One reason why I really like personal finance is that it involves math and psychology. So today's topic will really bring that to light. Uh, One note before we get started. As you already heard, we have some cool questions today, so please send me your questions. Uh, My email is jesse at bestinterest.blog. You can visit the website, bestinterest.blog, and find the contact page there, or you can reach out to me on Twitter. My username is interest underscore jc. I love answering questions on the blog. I'm going to love answering questions on the podcast, as you'll hear today. So, let's get started. How does one take thousands of dollars every year, proverbially bury that money in the ground, and then assume that the money will multiply tenfold in the next 30 years? How do we have that faith to know that if we put our money away today, It will grow the way we hope to. Well, the answer, in my mind, is simple. Long-term investing takes faith. What if the economy falters? What if companies fail? What if your real estate market declines? Or your investment advisor makes the wrong picks? There are countless what-if scenarios that could spell ruin in your long-term investing plans. I mean, heck, who says you'll even live those 30 years to see the assumed investment profits. You know, sell everything, spend now. No, no, don't do that. Uh, Tyler SoCash, friend of the blog, friend of the podcast, who, by the way, has an amazing TED Talk that I recommend you look up on YouTube. Tyler SoCash, his last name is spelled like the words SoCash. Tyler recently told me the advice that his financial advisor gave him. There's a balance, he explained. On one side, tomorrow is never promised. You should spend money today on the people and activities that you love. But at the same time, you've got to consider the reality that you'll likely live a long and healthy life and that you'll want to retire at some point. I'm reminded of the Stockdale Paradox, which I've written about on the blog. Uh, Jim Stockdale was an American prisoner of war during the Vietnam War. He spent seven years in the Hanoi Hilton, which was an infamous prison camp in Vietnam. And Jim Stockdale, when asked after the war kind of how he survived, really, from a mental point of view, not only from a physical point of view, but from a mental point of view, how he survived uh, being a prisoner of war, he said, well, I had to hold um, two states of mind simultaneously. The first state of mind was this never-ending faith that eventually I would prevail, that things would get better, that I would be rescued, that my life would continue on after the Vietnam War, after being a prisoner of war. But Stockdale had to balance that long-term view with what he called um, the ability to face the brutal facts of everyday life. So every morning he had to get up aware that he might not get food that day. He might get tortured for information that day. He had to face some pretty brutal facts of everyday life. And, and in order to really face those facts, he had to mentally prepare himself for it. Um, but he knew that there was a likely reality that he would be rescued someday. So keeping those two things in mind, the short term and the long term, that's the Stockdale Paradox. And I think there is a, a parallel here where there's this likely reality that you'll want to end up retiring someday, want to have money saved up but the question is you know Stockdale he drew his long-term faith from you know he knew the men that he served with he had faith that the U.S. military would come in and rescue him eventually but how do we maintain faith that our long-term investing will actually appreciate or that our investments will increase in value into more money than we have today how do we combat the fear that our bets might backfire in our face it's a pretty good question, and in order to answer that question, I'm going to transport us to the Fulton chain of lakes. It's these lakes in the, in the Adirondack Mountains, and the genesis for this episode, it popped into my head last August when I was laying on a hammock uh, on a lake in, in the Adirondack Mountains. It was a beautiful sunny day, you know, loons were calling from the crystalline waters. Our dog, Sadie, she was chasing squirrels around the, the woods. And I know the winds were blowing, and I noticed these waves, and sailboats, but mainly the waves, as they kind of got blown past where my hammock was. Uh, Those waves, it turned out, they belied an interesting detail, in that they were clearly flowing eastward. The waves were getting pushed by the wind, and the waves were flowing eastward. Yet, in the back of my mind, I knew that all the hydrology data for those lakes shows that the lakes drain westward. Um, It's this chain of lakes, so, you know, the the 8th drains into the 7th, and the 7th drains into the 6th. And yes, the the lakes are called 1st, 2nd, 3rd, 4th Lake, that's their name. I was on 4th Lake, and I knew that it drains westward into 3rd Lake. And yet, here I was, looking at the waves flow east, even though I knew, over time, all the water flows west, out into Lake Ontario, eventually. So I thought about it, you know, in the short term, winds and boats and even thirsty dogs, they can push Fourth Lake's water in any number of directions. But over the long term, gravity will always win out. The lake will always slowly drain westward through the Moose River, the Black River, and into Lake Ontario. The long term trend there is clear and obvious and unavoidable despite what I was witnessing from my comfy hammock. Investment markets have acted like my experience on Fourth Lake. While short-term stimuli can push the markets in any number of directions, long-term investment trends show clear upward tendencies. And then on the blog, in this original blog post, I show a neat little chart. It shows 30-year portfolio values ranging from 1958 to modern day. So the 1958 uh, portfolio, it essentially asks if someone, if an investor, had contributed $100 per week for the 30 years before 1958 and invested that money in the S&P 500, what would their portfolio look like? Some quick math, 30 years of $100 per week, That's $156,000 total invested over 30 years, $156,000. So these portfolio values that I'm about to say to you, you should compare them in your mind against that principal invested against $156,000. So the worst of these 30-year portfolios comes in at around $500,000. And the best comes in around $3 million dollars. That's why investors have long-term faith that their investments will have positive returns. The worst performing portfolio here tripled in value. And the best performing portfolio, let's what's that math? It goes up about 18x in value. Uh, the market will wax and wane. We all know that. We know that the the westward flowing Fourth Lake can temporarily flow east. that's what I saw. And we know that the actual stock market data, will overshoot and undershoot the trend line over time. And that's another cool plot that I show in the original blog post. It shows simply the the S&P 500 value from 1953 to 1983. And then it shows a trend line, an average line, of those market fluctuations going up and down. You can see at various points in time, the actual market value might be 10, 20, 30% or more underneath the trend line. And I bet some investors were pretty worried about their money in, say, 1957 or 1962, when the market is clearly underperforming the trend. Definitely, in about 1974, there was a, a crash in 1974, when the S&P went from 120 dollars down to 60; it lost half its value. And yet, at the end of this particular 30-year 30 30-year 30 period, the S&P 500 was at a level. higher than where it started. So long-term investing is based on this idea. Despite the fact that the market might flow up some days and flow down other days, eventually the market flows up, significantly up. Just like eventually, Fourth Lake flows west, draining into Lake Ontario, despite the waves that I saw in front of me on that summer day. It can't go up to infinity, right? I mean, that's a good question. The stock market cannot go up forever. I mean, eventually, the slow heat death of the universe will ensure that the stock market has a finite cap. But the serious answer, let's look at a serious answer. It is easy to look at the past 100 years of economic growth and think, how could this ever continue at this rate? Surely we're plateauing or plateauing sometime soon, right? But many experts, and some non-expert blog authors and podcasters, think that there's still plenty of room for useful economic growth. For example, I would argue that poverty is still an issue, both in the US and around the world. Efforts to raise the impoverished out of squalor would, by definition, involve economic growth. I still think there's room to grow there. Or take a look at the current Green Revolution, that's occurring in the energy sector. Solar and wind power are rapidly becoming cheaper alternatives to carbon-based energy. This is an example of the creative destruction, and that's in quotes, creative destruction, that ultimately leads to economic growth. Good ideas get replaced by great ideas, and society as a whole benefits, or at least should benefit. These ideas play into my faith in long-term investing. As long as humans remain curious enough to build better stuff, our economies will continue to grow, and thereby our long-term investments will grow. All right, faithful listeners, it's time to say amen on this topic and close the book. Investing like a wave, it's full of ups and downs and backs and forths. It takes a degree of faith to believe that your long-term investing will pan out, especially amid the proverbial royal that's R O I L <laughs> if and certainly when the tides turn i hope this episode gives you the credence and conviction to see the light and continue your long-term investing plan now let's switch over to listener q and a the first question today is from the famous 5 a m joel who runs 5 a m And also runs the famous website Budgets Are Sexy. Now if you can't tell from his name, Joel gets up at 5am every day and regularly writes about how his pre-dawn wake-up routine has changed his life. Joel, thanks for this question. Joel asked me, Jesse, how and when did you invest your very first dollar? What was the first investment you ever made with your hard-earned money? Great question, Joel. Uh, The answer, we go back to 2012, my first job out of college. I was working for a software company in Madison, Wisconsin. And during our employee onboarding, their HR group said, all right, everybody, you know this is a 401k. This is how it works. This is how much free money the company will give you if you use your 401k. And these are the options for how you can invest that money. And they gave us a pamphlet to show us some of our different investing options, different funds, those kind of things. And in the pamphlet, it said, if you don't know what you're doing, invest in a target date fund. So I remember reaching out to my dad and saying, you know, 401k, free money, target date fund. And he said, yes, yes, and yes, those are the smart things to be doing. Pick a target date fund. So listeners, if you're unfamiliar with a target date fund, it asks you what date you are targeting for retirement, hence the name, Target Date Fund. And then it tailors the assets in your portfolio uh, based on that date. So I was born in 1990. I think I remember choosing a 2050 Target Date Fund, thinking I'll retire when I'm 60 years old in 2050. Things have changed since then. But anyway, I was going to target 2050 And so the fund was predominantly stocks at that time because I was so young at age 22 with so many years of employment ahead of me, it makes sense to skew your portfolio towards higher risk stocks and give those higher risk assets a chance to grow over the subsequent decades. As we might know, once you start approaching retirement, it probably makes sense to pull back on the risk in your portfolio, maybe start skewing more towards bonds, something like that. But at the time, it was a heavily stock weighted 2050 target date fund. Thanks for that great question, Joel. And the next question comes from a Twitter friend of mine whose username is Uncommon Yield. And Uncommon Yield asked Are bonds worth it? Bond funds versus individual bonds? What's the difference? I think, you know, I appreciate this question from Uncommon Yields. He's a smart guy. I think he knows the answer to this question, but I appreciate that he's kind of lobbing up a, somewhat of a softball um, because it's, it's a cool topic and it's a good thing to, to talk to you folks about listening to the podcast. So let's talk bonds. First, some bond basics. Uh, a bond basically means you lend your money to someone else. And in return, they promise to pay you a little bit of interest over the duration of the bond, and then they promise to give you the full amount of your loan back at the end of the bond term. So you really can think about it as you're acting like the bank. You're lending out your money, you're expecting to get a little bit of a a fee over time, just like maybe a mortgage would, right? Just like you pay mortgage interest, someone else is paying you interest when you own a bond. Uh, Individual bonds can be pretty diverse. You can lend your money to companies, And these are called corporate bonds, where I could lend my money to Kodak here in Rochester, New York. And Kodak would pay me a little bit of interest every month or every year, depending on the duration of the bond. And then at the end, they would give me my money back, my original principal back. You can also lend your money to the federal government. These are probably the most well-known bonds amongst uh, average investors. These are treasury bonds. Uh, You could also lend to local governments, whether it's a city government or a county government or even a state government. These are traditionally called municipal bonds or muni bonds. Uh, Some bonds have very high rates of return, which you might think, wow, that that sounds like a really good investment. If I can get 16% per year on my investment, that might be really good. But the reason why those rates can be high is because the underlying entity has a very high risk. A lot of the highest paying bonds tend to be corporate bonds associated with companies that are in usually some troubling, dire straits. So the company gets it gets rated by a, a ratings agency. Their bond gets rated somewhere between, you know triple A being the best, B's and C's being much worse. And the worse a company's credit rating is, generally, the higher its bond return will be. Now, The risk there is that if you buy a bond at 20%, there's a pretty high likelihood that that company is going to go out of business before your bond matures, and you might not ever get your full uh, principal, your full loan amount back. So that's the risk and reward there of bonds. Um, Treasury bonds, on the other hand, barely pay anything. A 10-year U.S. Treasury, as of this recording in February of 2021, is paying about 1.2% per year, 10-year Treasury. I mean, that's pretty bad. You lock up your money for 10 years, and you're only going to get 1.2% a year in return? That's low. So uh, part of the question was, what do I do about bonds? Um, As I detailed in a, a blog post called How I Invest, I allocate a small portion of my investing portfolio to what's called a total bond market index fund. As the name implies, it's an index fund that represents the entire bond market. I don't dabble in individual bonds. I don't look at specific high-risk, high-yield bonds. I know my limitations. I don't have the time or the knowledge or the interest in that style of investing. So instead, I buy an index fund that, you know, it, it diversifies across the entire bond market, and I believe that having that small allocation in bonds is healthy for my lazy portfolio, and I'm sure on another episode of this podcast we'll talk about what that lazy portfolio is. For decades, a safe portfolio approaching retirement was considered 60-40, that is 60% stocks 40% bonds. Since I'm decades away from retirement, my bond allocation is only around 15% of my portfolio, 1.5. And in 2020, that bond index that I'm invested in only saw a 4% return, which compared to the stock market was very low. But I remind myself, that is part of the plan. I do own predominantly stocks because I have, like we talked about today, the long-term faith that those stocks will grow. I own a small fraction of bonds as a a measure of diversification. There might be years in the near future where stocks drop by 20% and having a 4% increase on my bond allocation will feel pretty good. So Uncommon Yield, thank you for the question. I hope that answers the question. Always appreciate interacting with you on Twitter. And the last question uh, we have from Barry Milligan. Barry wrote in and asked, Is the Earth round, and can you prove it? Now, Barry, that is a terrific question. I assume you're asking the question with a big grin on your face, Barry. But as it happens, uh, my full-time job involves putting telescopes, like the Hubble, into space. And having gone through some of the math involved, and seen some of the images, like Google Earth images, uh, I do feel pretty comfortable saying, yes, the Earth is round. But if you need more proof, Barry, I recommend recreating the experiment that Eratosthenes ran about 2,300 years ago in 240 BC. You can measure the angle of a shadow at noon on the summer solstice, wherever you are. So wait till June 21st, take a five-foot broom handle, plant it in the ground, wait till noon, see the angle of the shadow that that broom handle casts. And then next year, you can do the same exact thing from a place a few hundred or a few thousand miles north of south of of where you are. And again, measure the shadow at the second location. And then you kind of have to pause and ask yourself, Barry, why did the angle of that shadow change? I think you'll find your answer. Alright everybody, that's it for episode 2 of the Best Interest Podcast. As I mentioned earlier, please send me your questions. You can email jesse at bestinterest.blog, visit bestinterest.blog and find the contact page, or find me on Twitter, username bestinterest_jc. jc. If you enjoyed the podcast, then you can subscribe to the blog itself. You can subscribe to the podcast from your podcast app. Please, by the way, please leave a review for me. Let me know what you think of the podcast. Third, a favor that I'm going to ask you, please consider sharing this content. Ben Franklin said, an investment in knowledge pays the best interest. Sharing with others is investing in their knowledge. It's why I really enjoy doing what I do here on the podcast. It's why I write on the blog. So I would appreciate it if you consider sharing this knowledge with others. And thank you, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Best Interest Podcast.